This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 893, brought to you by iFanboy listeners, practitioners, folks just like you. Josh Flanagan, and I am back with my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Hello, hello, Josh. I don't know why, but I currently have both of my hands in the air, and I was waving them just a bit as I said our names Mm -hmm. to an audience who cannot see me and is not currently present, but I did it, and I I felt like you needed to know that. When you were waving your hands, were you waving them as if you just don't care? It's hard to tell. I'm not really sure what it feels like to not care. (laughs) Right, you've never had that experience in your life. No, I, I've, I'm. This, <laughs> it's a great really. deal. It's not. It's not really. I don't have like anxiety, generalized anything deal like of that. Caring. I'm very caring, and I'm very. I notice. I notice everything You're very all alert the time. And aware. I am. That's true. In a way that is exhausting, <laughs> especially for people say in a car with me. Every week, one of us picks the comic book they like the best from their stack of comics, and we call that the pick of the week. We will talk about that comic book and other comic books that we read that came out this week. We may reference other things that were not comic books or comic books that did not come out this week. That is our prerogative. What is not our prerogative is to choose the patron pick. That is the the book that we uh, are tasked to read. I almost said forced, right. but I thought tasked made it sound less. Task is good. Yeah, we are tasked to read by the iFanboy patrons. We will answer some mail if we have time. There will be spoilers on the books that we talk about within reason. We're not sure. monsters, but there's there's some caution there for you. Connor, yep. thankfully, delightfully, you had the pick of the week this week. I had the pick. The pick was The Penguin number 1, which was a book I didn't even know was coming. I'm usually fairly on top of things, as much as you can be when you don't read the comic news or the solicitations anymore. But all of a sudden, there was this Penguin book that Tom King wrote, and I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Like, I didn't know it existed until I made my list on Monday morning. Mm. This was the pick. And this is a quasi-sequel to that Batman Killing Time book that we read last year. Yeah. I noticed that for one particular reason. Well, the character, the cop characters. That wasn't it. Oh. Oh, the other one. Well, <laughs> no, it was the cop character. <laughs> we are again in this book. This time we didn't get murdered. No, we were undercover selling hot dogs and conflated, which makes sense. Yeah. You know, listen, I was in contact with a raw hot dog moments ago. Is Literally. it as fun as <laughs> dying in a Mexican standoff style freeze gun battle? Like in killing time? No, but also, also some dirty water dogs. <laughs> I'm trying not to think too hard about what this is or how it fits in, but it seems like even though Killing Time was sort of out of continuity, it took place in the past, mm-hmm. this book seems to be playing off of recent events in the Batman comic that Chip Zdarsky is writing, at the very least the backup story that was just collected into a comic last week, in which the Penguin moved to Metropolis, changed his identity, was in hiding, and living a contented life as a florist. That was how that oh. backup story went. See, I didn't, I just thought that is the conceit of this is this black label? I don't even just, no. Okay, so no, it, but it seems to be other elseworldy. That's what I mean. It doesn't really fit, so it doesn't really matter. I'm not really worried no. about it, but it does seem to be the continuation of what Chip Zdarsky wrote in the backups, in which everyone thought Batman murdered the Penguin, and he took the opportunity to basically get out of the game 
and go live quietly in Metropolis under an assumed name after plastic surgery as a florist. For whatever reason, people just do those things, I guess. And so here, it all sort of spins out of control as the authorities are on to him. Well, first of all, there's a framing device takes place in the future, which Batman and Penguin are both seemingly dying while in the Batmobile as it sinks into water. Or a boat. There's a whole lot going on, but they do refer to it as the car at one point. I think it's the Batmobile that's like sinking in the water. Mm. So they're both dying and neither one of them has the power to stop it. Batman's been stabbed in the arm, so his tendons won't right, right, right. react to his brain. What was sad about that was that as I, I read it, I thought, I think I understand what that would be like. Like I, I yeah, instantly, yeah, I was like, oh, I, I, well, I can see Have you ever had those myself. dreams where you can't move? <sighs> no. I used to have them as a kid. I don't, I've not had them as an adult, but like when I was like a kid, I would have those dreams where you just can't move your body. It's terrifying. Yeah. And I have ones where I can't talk or I, like I Let's can't Let's dive deep into the dreams. You know, I hate dreams. People sequences. love dream talk. It's the literal worst. What happens here is after we leave the flash forward, you know, we see Day in the Life of Penguin one year earlier in Metropolis. He's getting his suit tailored by his regular tailor, who's some kind of an idiot who seems to know that this is the Penguin. So his his new life is not really working, but makes some dumb remark and is now worried the entire time that he's going to be murdered. Then he goes to the, to the park, feeds the birds, and has an encounter with an undercover cop who bumps into him and is a jerk to him. They're trying to provoke Penguin into acting out so that they can arrest him. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen. Goes back home to his beautiful wife or girlfriend, and they make dinner, and they go to bed, and it's a nice evening. And the next day at his flower shop, another jerk shows up and is a jerk about his flowers, and he doesn't take that bait. The penguin has changed up until the cop from the Killing Time story shows up, shoots his bird, which was really an overreaction, and brings him in for questioning, but he won't crack, he won't say a word, he won't do anything. Until the end when he's released, and the old penguin returns, and he goes and he kills the tailor for making the crack about his weight. And then, even though it was a nice, it was like, you've lost weight. Yeah. And then it ends. I just thought this was unexpected. It was a fun sort of noirish cop stories in a way it can totally exist as this weird side batman world which is basically how i'm reading it anyway even though it ties into the regular book it doesn't matter i'm reading it as a sort of the strange side batman story don't know why i assume they wanted some sort of penguin collection for when that tv show hits because that's usually how publishing works now Hmm. which doesn't come out till next year if then even because of the strike you know not expected i think this is kind of where tom king shines that killing time story was really fun He's obviously great with those 12-issue, deep-dive, character-defining stories, but he's also really fun in these side Batman tales. And there was a Penguin Zero last week, too. That was the collection of the backup stories. Ah, okay. On this digital thing, it usually says if it's one of five, this one Mm -hmm. doesn't say that. could just be that it's the first issue they're not saying, but I assume this is some sort of miniseries about the Penguin coming back to being the Penguin. So what I thought was interesting is that I didn't, I'm not, I'm not reading the Zdarsky books. I didn't really know anything about that. I just thought, okay, well, in the beginning of the story, Penguin's found love and he's, you know, somewhere else and he's, he's out of the life. And I'm like, right. that's, that's enough. And I actually didn't realize, like, I didn't think of like the nose job. I thought, oh, they're just drawing him a little more humanly. Well, that was weird because that's what they said in the Batman book, but then here they keep talking about his big nose and I was like, is it that big? And I was looking at it I was like, it doesn't look that big. It's pretty big. It's got a bump. But who's the, is there a backstory to the woman? Because this, that was the most unrealistic part about all of it. Listen, she's very attractive and he's a penguin. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who this is. Okay. She could be, but I don't know. I like that in this Batman, uh, like he's, he only shows up in the, let's see, the first well, three pages, I guess, and yeah. the la- and he's completely 
impotent. Like he, there's nothing, he does nothing. Like he's dying. Yeah. Like it's so different than every other book where he shows up and he is, you know, the force that cannot be stopped. He is the threat. He is the everything, but not he's here. He's got a bullet in his lung. He's been stabbed in the arm. He can't really move. He's just going to drown. Can I tell you how much, what's her name? The cop officer something or other. The one from the first story. Yeah. She really reminds me of, I would tell you this was a Bendis book based on that character. How much does she seem like a Bendis character to you? Yeah. So the, she's overly profane. Yeah. That was how she was in Killing Time. Mm-hmm. It does seem like that. Yes. So, so like, as I'm reading through this interrogation, I see, why did they, how, how are they able to bring him in? Under what pretense? You know, it's Amanda Waller. Doesn't need the law. She just decided to take him in and that's fine. And then she's Agent like, I brought Espinosa. in the penguin. Yeah. She very much feels like a, like a, like a powers. Early 2000s. character. Yep. Totally. Yeah. You know, Amanda Waller. I've struggled to care about Amanda Waller. Yeah. Tell me this, because I, you know, I had no real experience with her except, you know, over the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, like she shows up and I thought she was like a good guy who skirted the law and she seems to have completely just turned into a power hungry supervillain and stuff. And that's also related to Dark Knights of Steel. In the 80s, when it was Suicide Squad, it was more like she's the one running the team that gets the dirty work done for the government. Right, but she's not And she would bad. occasionally do things that were despicable, but I think they've amped her up. I mean, she was always, even if you think back to the cartoon, the Justice League cartoon, where she was sort of in the shadows background, like she's always been, you know, up to no good, but not like in an evil way, or at least in a supervillain way. They've definitely right. amped her up as more of a villainous type. And that could be because, partially because we read Dark Knights of Steel this week. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. I think it's that, I don't know that I fully grasp what like when she's you she's always extremely underplayed and Mm -hmm. so i don't ever have any idea of her motivation who she is what she wants why why she's doing she's just there and she's protecting the country or protecting right whatever and i don't know what she's doing here i don't understand her goals ever and i and i this i don't know that yeah, I, so when she shows up, it's just this person who shows up, and that means that, like, somebody's being controlled who they don't want to. I don't know enough about her to, like, when Doom shows up, you know, oh, that's his ego and hubris. Like, that's what right. that's about. When the Joker shows up, he's insane. You know, like, all those things. I don't know what she's trying to prove or what she's trying to achieve. And mm-hmm. so in that way, like, I don't I don't understand. In the, in the Dark Knights of Steel, which we, we were going to talk about, right? That's a thing. Yep. We can save it. We can talk about it then. But in this book, I found that to be, it's like, ooh, the reveal. I'm like, I don't know what it means, but maybe I'm not supposed to. But with these characters, they all have, you can read two comics two way. You can read them at their face value, or you can read them sort of knowing the vast histories of the characters behind them and lead that into it. But since she does exist, you know, I I feel like that should be a clue. But anyway, that's a random thing. She's definitely like being overused and in a way that's not special. Yeah. However... Taking the comic as a whole, in terms of a surprise and delight level, like, oh, this is, I didn't know about this. This is fun. Yeah. And then a strong story. The Raphael de la Torre art was, I thought was really good. Did he draw the last one? I'm looking. No, wasn't it David Marquez? Uh, let's see. Was. You talk. Let's see. It was David Marquez. I thought the art was just lovely, though. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Strong storytelling. The Penguin has a strong, unique character and face and his look. So You're there's right. nine panel grids, there's more panels, there's big panels. He, he they really goes through the whole pantheon of mm-hmm. Tom King styles here. It was Marquez on the last one. It was a weird week. It was not a giant week of comics. I didn't have a ton of books, but mm-hmm. 
there was some strong contenders. This was the one I kept thinking about. It was like, oh man, I didn't even know that was coming out. And I really enjoyed that. And I really want to know what happens next. And I really want to get to that sequence. How do they get to the point where they're both mm-hmm. dying in the Batmobile and it's sinking in like the ocean? So that all those elements together, you know, you often talk about what's the one comic you want to read the next issue the most. Yeah. And that was, that was with Penguin. Although again, there were many fine books and I did give a lot of thought to the Invincible Iron Man 659 or 9. <laughs> I'm just loving this X-Men story. This is tying fully in. This is Jared Duggan who's writing the X-Men story. One for Gary, who's terrific. This 1,000% does not work if Duggan is not writing both of these stories. Oh, for sure. And it's almost like he's doing Iron Man like on the side, but <laughs> it's part of that other story too. Yeah, and the one for Gary R., I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think right now who it reminds me of. It reminds me of somebody. It's a little bit of, who was that guy that did Thor with Straczynski? Koypel? Koypel. It's got a little bit of Koypel in there. It's a little bit of, I don't know, there's, I'm seeing something. It's almost like early 2000s kind of stuff. There's like almost a little Brian Hitch. He got a little heavy on the spittle in the yeah, middle well, on page 19 when he's yelling. I was, I was like, that's a lot of spittle. I was most impressed by Captain America's motorcycle. He's driving that vintage Harley around. I was like, really? You still got that going? <laughs> Here's my tiny nitpick if I'm going to. Yeah. So everything's going bad. And, and I actually really like the way that... This Tony is really down on his luck, and his confidence is shaken yep. in a way that doesn't, in realistic way. Because it's not just him on the line, now it's Rhodey. Yeah. yeah, no, and I think that that's an excellent device to do it. Anyways, he goes down to the Morlock tunnels, and uh, he shows the phone, he gives the phone over to Emma, and I was like, really? You have a cracked screen? Your <laughs> phone would definitely not have a crackable screen. Yeah, Unless they're we- trying to say how bad. Right. He would develop some sort of uncrackable. Yeah, oh, 100%. I'm guessing Reed Richards gives that to everyone. Yeah. You get unstable molecules and get an uncrackable screen when you become a hero. Mm-hmm. This basically tells us how he and Emma become a team. Yeah. He saved Emma Frost from the Sentinels in the Morlock tunnels where there's no signal. No one can find her. I thought it was a very convincing way of putting them together. Yeah, I agree. Like by the end, you buy their partnership, you buy their team up, you buy their, I guess, here comes the marriage. You buy it. I, by the end of it, I was like, yeah, I get it. I get why they're helping each other. I get why they are drawn to each other. They're both two sides of a very similar egomaniacal coin, and it works. She is one of the characters who went from being a villain to being an anti-hero to being, I'm going to say, a good guy, for for lack of a... She's a total hero at this point, yeah. In a way that worked really well and is very convincing while still remaining... It was totally organic. They really put the time in with her. It wasn't like they flipped the switch on her core to her essence like you read the character and you're like that's the same character like i still get it yep. it's or almost like the way that she was originally envisioned and the first time i would have read her would have been in the dark phoenix saga nearly mm-hmm. 50 years ago i didn't read it 50 years ago i read it 40 years ago but still um you know <laughs> it's almost like that was a nascent version of her that was developed over time like a diamond huh into a more interesting <laughs> version of the character as opposed to what often happens the other way around I right, guess. and the thing is, we often complain when they do that, right? They take a popular right. villain and turn them into a hero, but they really put the years-long effort in, into turning that ship around. It was mm-hmm. a slow turn. It wasn't like a Harley Quinn U-turn. With many people like involved. A sports car, or, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, they spent years turning her the way she is now. And it works. I like her as a character quite a bit. Oh, and she's she's totally... Like she's also been handled by so many people. Like you get the Grant Morrison touch through it. You get all Hickman, you get, you know, now Doug, like not, not just them, but dozens of people probably. And it's really interesting. And, and you're like, there's a, 
I'm trying to, I thought when there was an announcement, like they were going to get married three months ahead of time before it's going to be, because nothing yep. can fucking be a surprise. I had this feeling like, did I miss something? Because mm-hmm. she showed up in the one issue, two or three issues ago. Then everything happened at the Hellfire Gala, which I read after this. And then mm-hmm. this made sense after with the last issue. And at first I thought, well, I missed something. But now I realize it's sort of telling it sort of in retrospect. Yeah. in a certain way as they go through it. And I will say that the the preview or the cover for the next issue, you know, which is like them at the wedding, I was I was like, that's not what it's going to be. That doesn't make sense. But I don't care. I'm interested. I really like the stakes of this. Yep. You know, it's one of those things where you like, the synopsis for something is always like, this time we really break Iron Man down to his core. And you're like, yeah, you say that. Every writer says that. And I'm reading this, I'm like, you're kind of doing it. I mean, it's an illusion of change, but still. Sure, but they do a very good job of making his story feel claustrophobic. Like it's the walls are closing in on him. And they've done a very good job, I think, across the X-Men line of doing that. But here you can really feel like Fei Long has Tony in a vice grip and I don't know how he's going to get out of it. And of course he will, because that's how these stories work, but I don't know how. And I'm, even though I, again, I know how these work, I'm still worried for him because it's written really well. It's mm-hmm. like, God, how's he going to get out of this? How's he going to save Rhodey? Yeah. How's he going to get his company back? Fei Long really has him by the nuts. Yes. But he's so smug and he's smiling all the time. So you're like, oh, he's going to go down. You want him to, because it's, it's very good, like a uh, arch villain thing too. Yeah, for sure. This is very much like you said in reverse because we've we've already seen Tony's new stealth suit in the Avengers comics. Mm-hmm. We're still building to that here, so this is basically taking place in yeah. the past to other books right now. But it's I mean, better. This would be melting Ron's brain. If he- <laughs> <laughs> when? Now? <laughs> when does Fifty Two take place? And then the the patented Marvel Comics last page character reveal worked. I thought. Yes. Yes, and it also returns him to a position. In the mainstream Marvel universe, which is not exactly the same as it was, but you do get the classic. It, it was not, I'm sorry, here we go. The reveal of Kingpin at the end was not one of the reveals where you're like, who's this and what does it mean? Right. It was, here's the white King Wilson Fisk. And I was like, all right, cool. That's interesting. <laughs> That's, you know. Yeah, this is fun. This was the one that I really held up next to Penguin. I was like, okay, I love both these books. It was the surprise and delight of Penguin that put it over the top, but I could have very easily made Invincible Iron Man. This has been a good run, and I think of Iron Man, and I think it actually, it continued over from that Cantwell run, which I I generally liked a lot, pretty well. It wasn't a reverse. The Tony Stark that we had at the end of the Cantwell run was the Tony Stark that we had at the beginning of the Duggan run. Mm -hmm. It's a good continuation. And I'm, I'm invested, and you know, I will, you know, there's a part of me that was pretty tired of Tony Stark for a while there. Yeah. It takes a great deal to sort of make it fresh or remain interesting. Well, even though he's been forever changed by Robert Downey Jr., they've toned down that part of it a yeah. little bit. They turned the dial down on the downy part. Yeah. Right. He's not quite as exasperating or tired. Yeah, he is exhausting. By the end of Avengers, I was like, take him down. The movie. That's enough. <laughs> I'm fine with it. So Dark Knights of Steel 12 wrapped up, at the very least, this volume of Tom Taylor's fantasy Elseworld story of the DC Universe. This was drawn by Yasmin Pucci, who did most of the issues, not all of them, but most of them. And I think I liked it, but it felt to me, the problem I have with a lot of stories these days is that it felt like I was reading an outline instead of a story. I felt like there was a lot going on. It was a lot of it was told in narration. And it didn't feel like I was in a story. It felt like I was being told the highlights of a story. I think it's because it's just fewer pages, fewer panels per page. You don't really get to dive in, especially a story like this where there's so many characters and so much going on. You only get sort of a moment with each and it sort of felt like to me like oh this was a cool story that would have been awesome over the course of two or three issues as opposed to just the one 
Has it been a long time since the last one came out? It could have been. It feels like it has been. I was like, oh, this book, I'd kind of forgotten about it in a way. Mm-hmm. And I had to remember. So uh, at the beginning, we see Constantine is talking with everybody and Detective Chimp and Harley. And I kind of forgotten who a lot of the people were. Right. Because this, we've said, mate, this doesn't necessarily adhere one-to-one with what they do in the other world. Is the blonde woman the queen? Is, is she? That's. Is that Lara L? No. That's Lara. That's okay. Lara L. And then the they, they, they cut to the monsters they're fighting. I was like, who are these? I don't, and like, I, it took me a minute. Oh, right. The white Martians. So it's like, yep. that got me into where it is. And there's Protex. And then at the end, there's this sort of dark haired woman standing there. I was like, well, who's this? And that turns out that that was Lois. And I was like, yep. I have no idea who she was supposed to be in this. Yeah. I think you need to read it as a, I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, our brains yeah. have been broken by the double shipping. <laughs> and this book wasn't exactly monthly. There were delays in it. And, <laughs> and Clark and Bruce look identical i mean they put him in different colors and i could tell them apart that wasn't like the thing but like if you just had those heads you get a little curl on the left side as opposed to the right thing on you know exactly but i thought you know the battle itself and what how they resolved it and how they beat the white martians and the yes. tragic death was all good it just felt to me like it could have used double the number of pages to really delve into it as opposed to just jump from moment to moment to moment very quickly yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think I enjoy reading the issue, so I don't know that I... Like, everything you just said makes total sense to me. And there, I was a little lost, just having forgotten what had come before. Mm. But I do feel like I got a good story from a character standpoint with these folks. But yeah. I could have used more to get there. And that, that's a good thing. Like, you, you want to leave them wanting more. But I think you're right. I, th- I think Tom Taylor's perhaps too epic slash prolific for the confined format here, you know? It's tough. You know, it's not Crisis at Infinite Earths where there was more pages and way more panels and therefore more space to really delve into the story. Here you've got 20 some odd pages and you've got four or five panels per page. It's just not a lot of real estate. Mm. That's just the way things are now. What is beautiful book though? It was really good looking. The Yasmin Puchuyart stayed consistently terrific the entire way through. You know, the action sequences were awesome. The coloring from uh, yeah. R.F. Prianto was terrific. So As I flip the fire through, scenes. The, the color really stands out to me through the whole thing. I think it's really lovely. It fits the style. It fits the setting really well. I still enjoyed it. I, like, I, I, I finished it. I was like, that was fun. I feel like it should have been better, but it was fun. I was happy, you know, to read it. If they decide to do more, because it's, you know, it's primed for more, then great. I don't think it was necessary to kill this Alfred. Yeah. Uh, I get it. Like, it's the thing that spurs the hero to do whatever, but it would have been. I get it. I feel like Alfred's always the easy one to kill. But I I just, I feel like it would have been much more interesting to tell the story with him if this were to continue. Because that's interesting, is that, like, we've had all these takes on what Alfred is, but now you're combining him with Martian Manhunter. Right. That's interesting. I would like to see more of that, of them existing together and knowing I think that that would be good. It, it might be interesting to go back and read it from the beginning and sort of see if there were breadcrumbs for these things. Right. But there is. And here you had uh, Amanda Waller, who's much more devious and sinister, where she's she's trying to kill. She's teaming up with the White Martians to kill the leadership of the other kingdom so she can take over at least a segment of the world. So she's much more overtly evil here, but she cleverly managed to wiggle out of that and live to tell the tale. So if they announce... Dark Knight of Steel Volume 2, I'm, I'm all for it. I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of endings, 
Dead Romans. Dead Romans number six. What I found is that when I initially saw that this book was a thing, I I looked and and I thought, oh, this looks like something I'd be really interested in. And the first issue I really enjoyed, but there were flaws Mm -hmm. from what I assume are relatively new creators. I just, I do not know the names of Fred Kennedy or Nick Marinkovich. You damn well know Jose Villarubia. You're damn right I do. But that's the only one I know. I know the cover of cover D by Mike Del Mundo. I know him. Shadowline books. Shadowline's interesting because that is Jim Valentino's imprint. And sometimes, man, he'll put out great, totally yep. unexpected books. Well, he was always the one of all yep. those image founders that was not in the mainstream. Yeah. He was the comics with the next guy. Even though he drew mainstream comics like Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. his sensibility was always more in even more indie realm than, than the image was doing. Yeah. Anyway, you know, despite there was there was real sort of storytelling confusion in the first issue or so, and I, I pretty much cleared up for me. And I, I do think that this is definitely like a highly skilled work by people who just don't have a ton of experience in yeah, it. Yeah, they're they're getting there. It's still not there yet. There's still yeah. some storytelling issues, and the the art's terrific. Although sometimes it's really hard to tell what, what's going on and mm-hmm. who the people are. But if this is like their early work, they're starting off in a in a very yeah. elevated position. Point being, you know, like as it kept going on, I got more happy to see it on my list and we got to this and it's issue six and and I, you know, it's the last issue. I don't even remember if it was on the cover, but I feel like I knew. And I really, I really enjoyed where we ended up with the characters. I actually really enjoyed that it wasn't super clean of an ending. It was a very complicated mix of emotions between the two main characters and a sort of inability to come to an understanding. And it it was an ambiguous ending, but I don't think it was bad. No, is Honoria going to die? I don't know. Because she refuses medical help, but he's like, you're not going to last with those wounds. And she leaves on her own. And I really like, so So if you're listening at home, like, what are you talking about? Roman general had been taken from a tribe sometime in his youth. A German tribe. Germanic yeah, tribe. a G- Germanic, you know, because that's what, that's what Rome would do. They would take people from all over the empire of all different kinds, and, and they would indoctrinate them. And this guy seemed as if he had been indoctrinated. He rose very high in the military and the ranks. They said he might even be able to be a senator at some time. But it turns out that the whole time he had been plotting revenge because they had, you know, murdered his family and, and, and so much of his tribe, and he wanted to get back at the Romans. And so there's all of these relationships and connections and betrayals that happen in there, like one after another, but it's about like what the character's real alliance lays with, where their loyalty is, you know, what's actually important to them. And all, you know, that's all weaved in there, very dramatic and everything. And the whole time he's trying to get his, he's trying to get his girlfriend back, you know, and he thinks she'll understand this is be fine, but he didn't count on. Cause she's also she, been taken and right. is works for the Romans. And he thinks, well, I'm one out. She must want out. And she's like, nah, I, I, I like it. I bought into it. I was, I was, you know, then she's kind of mad. She's like, you didn't tell me. You didn't give me a chance. You know, I thought that was really well done. And I felt it. You know, I want, I, I was, you know, it's like, this is really painful for the two of them. And, you know, all this horrible death and, and grim shit has happened. But. My favorite thing about the book was the moral ambiguity to all of it. Yeah, I agree. You have a Roman legion fighting an army from the Germanic tribes. Then you have the interpersonal stuff that Josh is talking about. Mm-hmm. But no one is really right or wrong. Yeah, I agree. And they're also not not right and not not wrong. Right. Because it's all messy, especially back then, right? Like everyone is awful. They're all murdering people. They're all putting their heads on pikes and they all exist to kill and conquer. And so the Romans are not in the moral right and the Germans are not in the moral right. And then 
and we talked about this a couple issues ago. Maybe it was the yeah. last issue about the whole idea that we have to conquer them because they're, you know, they're living in the darker age, and we we will bring them roads and an economy and peace, and they will stop killing each other. It, it will help. And that's them not eventually. wrong, but to do that, you have to subjugate and you have to take away autonomy, and you have to do it like it's not black and white; it's all gray. Well, yeah, I mean, and that all, but that also depends on your perspective. I mean, it's very right. easily to relate this sort of empire building, and we can look way, way, way back in the future, and you can say, well, listen, there's roads and aqueducts that exist in England because the Romans showed up, and what did right. that do to lead to English civilization? Well, that's interesting, and then you take that further. Okay, well, the English take over India, changes it forever. Is there benefits? Probably. Is there drawbacks? Definitely. It, it just, it's so complicated, and I think in the way this story of these small number of characters even these two main characters it's a nice mirror to that yeah there's no black and white answers yeah. to any of this no and that was i think the best part of it because every issue i thought about it you know which is good mm. hey let's take a quick break here and talk about how if you're enjoying this show if you like what we do every week at ifanboy which is at very least put out this show but usually more than one show in fact we had two shows this week if you think hey i like what they're doing i want them to keep going because it enhances my reading pleasure my listening pleasure it enhances my pleasure we're here to please we're here to enhance <laughs> Don't your pleasure say we're here to pleasure we're here to enhance pleasure. That's a different... I don't even like that. <laughs> if you feel like you want to help support that, <laughs> patreon.com slash ifanboy is here for your pleasure. That's how you can support the show directly. You can unlock things for everybody, although we should probably change that because it's not really a thing anymore. But you can uh, become part of a great community. There's a Discord community. There's a Facebook group. We have a monthly patron hangout, which is happening... Well, it would have happened after you've heard this show. It happened this past weekend. We have a lot of fun doing that. We try to make things fun for the patrons. We actually have something else in the works that'll be patron exclusive. Not a show, but something fun that we're going to announce fairly soon. We try to make it fun for everybody who supports us, just aside from doing these shows, which is hopefully the main reason why you support the show. And so we thank everyone who does that. Again, we have patron exclusive tier specific merchandise we introduced a couple months ago. So if you're a patron at a certain level, you get your own merch that comes after a few months and it's exciting. We don't even have it. I don't even have one of those t-shirts. They look awesome. I wish I had one. Some kind of other merch. So yeah, so everyone who supports the show for your patron, we thank you very much. And it's the main way people help us. And times are tough, although depending on what metric you look at, depending on who you are, maybe they're not so tough. Maybe you're one of those people who went from a billion to $10 billion during the pandemic. If that's the case, <laughs> let's start redistributing some wealth towards podcasters. Watch that language. <laughs> Just, it is my experience. You're, you're really saying towards podcasters. I'm not saying everybody. Right. Okay. It's a very specific form of Marxism. Hardworking, scrappy podcasters could use your support when you said maybe maybe you're and i thought robber baron those were the words that popped into my head which says maybe a lot you're about a gilded me. age robber baron maybe and somehow you're still alive because you've used your vast wealth you're attached like a bunch of steam powered tubes and mm -hmm. machines and you're 400 years old and so you can't take that money with you <laughs> you own a, a vast swath of the north shore of long island somehow still <laughs> exactly you own 28 percent of newport rhode island <laughs> then consider ifanboy.com slash support. That's our PayPal link, our digital tip jar. Also, ifanboy.threadless.com is where you can find our 13 t-shirt designs. And ifanboy.com slash Amazon is where you can shop for Amazon things and also our Booksplode books and bookshop.org is our partner. And you know, in that case, the money doesn't go to us. It goes to the bookshops, which we, we appreciate and love. They On my last vacation, money. I came back from going to the local bookstore, the local independent bookstore with a stack of books. Do I have time to read those books? No, but I, I bought them because I felt like I wanted to support them. I mean, if you're going to have a compulsion, then that's at least the right people can benefit from You know that. what I bought, which was really exciting? I bought a second edition of Tarzan the Ape Man. My goodness. Yeah, only 15 bucks. 
Have you read Tarzan, the, or the original text? Never read the original. Who wrote that? Burroughs. Right, okay. I do write Burroughs, yes. I think I've read, like, you know, when we were kids, they would have those illustrated classics. Mm-hmm. Not the big comic size, but like the little, they were like little hardcover books. I had like all those books. I had like Tarzan, I had Moby Dick, I had like Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. And I would read those a lot, but no. Anyway, thanks for the support, everybody. We appreciate it. That's why we're here. To enhance your pleasure. And if you're going to complain about the show, I would like people to specifically say they're doing more Gilded Age illusions and I wish they would stop. Yeah, way too much Gilded Age content. I would accept that as a criteria for criticism. You know, I'd be like, that makes sense. I understand. Yeah, that's an understandable complaint. They're obsessed with it, these guys. (laughs) And they don't actually know a lot about it. No, it's all just (laughs) bad (laughs) improv. That's vaguely correct factually. Surface level of academic intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) That's us. Since 2000. Let's talk about The Amazing Spider-Man 926 or 32. And I think we're going to see seeing Craven all over the place now that he's got a film coming out. Luckily, it won't last because, you know, (laughs) we didn't didn't have to watch Morbius for too long. (laughs) That said, I like Craven. I love Craven's character. I think he's a great character. I mean, the thing here is that, A, I'm into it. Mm -hmm. I'm fully into it. I'm fully into the 100% full-on melodrama that this book is. To me, it is the most 70s, 60s sort of version of this book in some time. You know what? You might be right. This might be the only book I'm reading that feels like an old Marvel comic. Yeah. You might be right. Constant problems, but also it's moving. So in this... We, I'm not going to do the whole thing on it, but the, like uh, Black Cat had broken up with him in, I think, the last issue. Yep. And it, some time has passed. And he's about to go- At least a few weeks. On an ambiguous, I don't know if it's a date or a meeting, and maybe they don't either, with, what's her name's, the villain girl who was going to marry Robert Robertson. She was a beetle. Tombstone's daughter. Yeah. It's her lawyer. And they go on this weird, if it's not a date, it still ends up as an awkward exchange where you thought maybe there was something, whatever. And I just thought, this is all a huge mess. Like the couple haven't talked in a long time. Yeah, they they met at the wedding. And I, I remember thinking of the wedding when they met Peter and this lawyer. I was like, that seems like they're setting that up for something. And yeah. I was right. And, but then they kind of, it seems like they dropped it because it, it feels like they won't, you know, at least not well, a date. They're dropping anymore. it or it's the mm-hmm. classic tension equals attraction yeah. situation. Yeah, maybe. Either way, I just, I liked how it was just moving. And even Black Cat was like, so you got a date? And he's like, yeah. You know, like, I don't have to deal with the tension of their breakup. It happened, they're back where they were, whatever. And then finally, I mean, the thing that is is the big feature of this is that it appears that, well, it did did appear for a bit that Norman Osborn was going to sort of return, which is, which this isn't like the case a lot of times. I really didn't want it to happen. Like, I was like, no. No, I, I know it will, but I wasn't ready for it. And I, like, I know it's going to happen, and I, I didn't want it to. Well, you're in luck. Right. And then, and the, but then there was a twist. There was a twist that I did not expect right there. They were like, well, we know it's coming back, and I guess this will be when it happens. And it didn't. A different thing happened. Will it be good? I don't know. They've got all of Norman's sins encased in a spear, and Craven and the Red Goblin woman are going to stab him to bring him back, and it doesn't end up happening. It ends up stabbing somebody else who now has Norman's sins in his body. So what does that mean? Tune in next week. And even Craven and Red Goblin having this ridiculously, like, overly sappy romantic affair, you know, like the worst romance novels ever. It was just ridiculous enough to be funny. And we didn't have to spend a lot of time on it. Like, oh, this is why he's doing all this dumb shit. Again, do this thing, way overplay it. 
move along with the story. That's what keeps happening over and over again. It's really fun. It's very energetic. What's also ridiculous enough to be funny are these one-page gods pages that keep teasing. There's a one-page from Jonathan Hickman about gods, and I keep reading them and going, okay. Is it a story? It's not continuing. There are different characters and different things being showcased that are going to be leading up to his gods comic. Okay. There's no context for anything. Okay, good, good. There's no connective tissue as far as I can tell. I mean, it's just it's one random page throughout all these books. So maybe I'm missing something. But literally every time I finish reading the page, I just go, okay, and sort of I just move on to the next. I'm book. glad you said that because I definitely thought I was like, I'm definitely missing something here. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to read it, but I just don't know what the benefit of what they're doing is because mm-hmm. it's not like leading to any little level of excitement. It just seems like I'm reading random pages from a book in a random order. No. Big game number two, the second issue of the Mark Millar, Pepe Larraz, Millerverse crossover. And this book's super fun. I know you're not reading it, Josh. I know you didn't read this, this issue, but it's crazy. And also, there's no way any of this is sticking. So the premise of the first issue, if you recall, it was a patron pick, is that in 1986, the villains killed all the heroes and took over and made everyone forget that they were superheroes. That was pointed out to us later, Josh, that that was in Wanted. Mm. We forgot about that because that was 15 years ago. Yeah, that's fair that I wouldn't remember that. And so all of the characters from all of Mark Miller's various books are coming together. And here it opens up with the main character from a book called Prodigy, which I may or may not have read. I don't remember. <laughs> with someone who I'll reveal whose identity in a second goes to meet the Chrononauts, a book we loved. And they're like, hey, guys, this is what's happening. The villains took over, blah, blah, blah. We need your technology to go back to 1985 to prove... That this is what happened. So if we go back to 1985, we should see that there's the world's full of superheroes. Even though I feel like the Chrononauts would have seen this already, but whatever. To go back to 1985, New York, the two Chrononauts, this main guy from Prodigy and this woman, and they're like, okay, cool, this is New York in 85. Looks mostly the same except for the cars and the clothes. And then they look up and they're standing in front of the Daily Planet. <laughs> and the guy's like, it wasn't always called New York. And then a giant robot creature attacks and out of the sun comes Superman. Although you can't see his S emblem, but it's Superman. And the Chrononauts guys are freaking out. Oh, my God, he's real. And then they have to go back because they only had enough money for 300 seconds in the past. So they have to go back. It's revealed the woman is basically Lois Lane. Is that okay? Well, they don't call them by their names. Right. They walk through the portal and they're all immediately machine gunned to death by soldiers. (laughs) So the Chrononauts are dead. The Prodigy guy's dead. Lois Lane's dead. And then we cut to a bunch of military snipers are going to kill Hit Girl. But she's saved by the dude from... Kingsman, the Secret Service book slash movies. And then Nemesis kills all of the ambassador characters, all of them from that miniseries. So I was like, something's going to get reversed here, right? Because there's another volume of the ambassadors coming out and they, everyone's dead, including the woman who, who created the program. So maybe Mark Miller's going through like an Elon Musk thing. Maybe. Where he's just destroying all of his value for reasons that no one understands. <laughs> he's killing his babies. He's killing all his IP. No matter what he's doing, it is really fun. And Pepe Larraz is drawing the fuck out of it. Yeah, I bet. It's almost the apotheosis of Mark Miller, right? It's a big, crazy summer movie adventure with all of his characters, and they're all just at war. I am enjoying it. I'm going to give you extra credit for excellent usage of apotheosis. Thank you. And also, next issue, they're introducing Huck. Remember that character, Huck? Oh, he's like a tall... He was like a big, kind of doofy farm boy. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. So, I'll keep you updated, but I do think it's super fun. Yeah. Everything you said, I thought, well, yeah, it's kind of it's interesting, but ultimately still don't really care about any of those characters. So, Did you read Marvel Unleashed, 
I did solely because of Kyle Starks' name on it. This seems to be a continuation of uh, the Pet Avengers as conceived by our pal and lettering extraordinaire, Chris Eliopoulos, back in the day. Did you like it? Eh. Craven was here again. Yeah. Well, he kind of has to be whenever he there's something a- Lovejoy. I thought it was fine. I, you know, I'm not super into the Pet Avengers as a concept. Mm-hmm. Kyle Starks is a good writer. It was funny. Yep. You know, the dogs on this adventure trying to find one of their missing owners, not realizing that the missing owner is an AIM scientist, and so he's bad. Yeah, that was a good... I thought Jarvis was dead. Well... The, the butler. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm just thinking about Alfred, but I thought he was dead. When they go to... Anyway, I thought it was funny because the whole issue, we are hearing the dog dialogue, right? They're mm-hmm. talking to each other. And then we cut to... They're at the Avengers Mansion, and they're explaining everything to Jarvis, and we cut page turn, and they're just barking. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a funny conceit to show that they can talk, but we can't understand them. I think it's that. I thought, you know, like this is Kyle Starks doing a product and using his ability to make this comic, but it kind of wasn't, it wasn't all Kyle Starks that I come to expect from seeing him. So it was mm-hmm. a little, pardon the expression, neutered. Not in a bad way. I just, you know, like he's doing like an all ages superhero pet story, but, you know, like that's kind of not what I come to Kyle Starks for. Right. There's no fuck Tarkington in this book. There should be. There should be in every book. Jesus Hervas was the artist. I thought really strong. Really good animal drawings, which is what you need to do in a book like this. Yeah. Good storytelling. I thought the art was really strong. Not not the style I was expecting. Kyle Starks is almost always cartoony when I see his work. So I was like, oh, shit. But, you know, it was fine. I'm not a big pet guy because I've got really bad allergies. So I'm never really around (laughs) animals. So I'm not someone who goes gooey for animals. But. It was okay. I don't know if I'll keep reading it, but I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I am, but like the like you know the the dog voice and the cat voice is like I've seen it a lot. And Grant Morrison sort of solved it with We Three, I think, at a certain point. Hmm. You know, like I was like, okay, that's that's as good as that's going to get. And he ripped my heart out when he did that. Even non pet lovers would be like, that was Even rough. I was ripped out by that. Exactly. And so you know, anything else is I don't know. It's I I think it's not for me. That's what I think, and that's fine. Gene Gray, number one. And I really want to just mention this because it's Louis Simonson, mm-hmm. who was a huge name in comics. Wheezy mm-hmm. of the Simonson wedding pair. And I was thinking, is there, was there a better married couple in comics than Walter and Louis Simonson in terms of the output? Uh, There's Miller and Varley, but I wouldn't put them on the same level. Also, like they're not, like they're a couple for a while, but Wheezy and they're still married. They're still going strong. Weezy and Walt, they're, they're still married after all this time. I mean, they did X Factor together, but I do not think of their careers as necessarily being linked. No, no, no. I don't, I'm not saying they are. I'm just thinking as a couple. Right, I know, but I'm saying their is like, what's, is so incredible. I guess Palmiotti and Connor, maybe. Yeah, but like they did a lot of work together. And you're right, Palmiotti and, and Connor, they both stand on their own feet. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about as a pair. I'm just talking about like a couple that's in comics. But in in terms of longevity, in terms of output, and sort of a number of things that they are both heavily responsible for, you know, it's pretty good. It'd be hard to find another one, you know. So this is a miniseries about Jean Grey, and the cover has the Fall of X logo, which is the logo tying in the current status quo of X-Men. And technically speaking, it takes place in that world, even though Jean Grey was like obliterated in that issue. Mm. And I do want to say that, you know, we've had a lot of our... 80s and 90s heroes return to comics. Peter David quite successfully. We talked about Anna Senti a couple weeks ago. Well, not so successful. So I was very curious here. And I'll say Weezy still got it. This was really fun. Yeah, that was the thing is I saw it and I thought, Ugh, I don't want to not like this. Also, I don't care right. about Jean Grey just in general. Sure. 
but with a strong possibility of patron pick. I read it, you know, also it wasn't a whole lot of, lot of books. And I thought, and yeah. I, I was like reading, I was like, this is great. <laughs> she still got it. Oh, hundred percent. And it didn't even read like, I think there was some elements of, you know, when she came up, but not. He's sort of like there is when when Peter David does a book. Like you just right. like, oh, it's it's you know it's. But she's seventy six. That's amazing. This is great work. Yeah. I, I don't again. I don't. I don't know what are the concepts are her, but basically what we have is a story of, and I had forgotten about this, but the yeah. X Men from the sixties or whenever were taken into the present time and they stayed there for a while. Was that Bendis? I think that was, was Bendis. Bendis. Yep. And then they went back at some point. I missed when that happened. Or they went whatever. back and, and they had their minds wiped. So they forgot. So. Gene's whole thing here is basically, what if I could go back and not wipe their minds so they right. could, they could fix things starting in there? This is almost like a schism in time. Yeah. This is another alternate timeline where the young X-Men go back to the 60s or whatever, yeah. whatever, and don't forget about the future. So they try to proactively fix things and they end up making it way worse and become and Gene becomes a bit villain. Right. Gene becomes, you know, what they stop Magneto from being. Like she's trying to do the right thing, but way misjudging. It's it's Superman in injustice in a way. Like yeah, it's basically like she goes on the slippery slope of well, I could fix all this just by right fucking with their minds and starts doing that, and she can't stop. And I thought this was terrific and intricate and morally heavy, and again had that claustrophobic feeling where it's like the heroes are in this tightening, tightening situation. And unexpected for her being the the main character. I was like, I didn't see that coming. This is. Really interesting. The art was solid. Bernard Chang, I think he's a solid artist, not a great artist, but solid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I finished. I was like, wow, that was super fun. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. I'm going to keep reading it because I have no idea what's happening here. I was really pleasantly surprised. I thought, all right, I'm going to try it. It's going to be a chore. It wasn't. It was delightful. Yeah. Good job, Weez. 76. That's amazing. I call her Weez. She and I have a close relationship. I, I know. I know, you're into it. Did you meet her when you met Walt? I don't think I've ever met her. She wasn't at the table with him when you met him? I don't think so, no. She definitely wasn't at any of those comics. I met her. Met's not right, but you've been a long-time listener, you know this. The first con that I ever went to was in college, and it was the Ithacon in Ithaca, New York, where we went to school, and Walt Simonson was there. I had just recently gotten back into comics, but I held him and his work in a special place in my heart from when I was younger. And he did sketches and he did a Thor. Back then, people did sketches for free. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, I can get him to draw a thing for me. It is on my wall right now. He did a Thor and he's like, what do you want? And I said, can you draw like a Thor head, but like with the hammer in it? So he's holding it up. It's a great sketch. Yeah, it is. It's got perspective or, or whatever. And, I, and I, the one thing I remember is that- I thought he showed it to her. Right, that's what I'm saying. He finished it, and he kind of impressed himself a little bit. And he goes, Wheezy, look at that. And she goes, yeah, it's pretty good. Like, they were both, and I, it was just that little moment of... So you did meet Wheezy. I guess. At least not talk to her, but she was there. I don't think I knew enough to know her. I think I How many years ago was that? I mean, that was, what, senior year of college? So, so 1990, winter of 1999. So 24 years ago? Yeah, and I thought he was old then. That's what I'm saying. You thought they were like super old, but they're they were my, they're my age. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. And I know we need to move on, but I did think the other day when I chose to go to Ithaca College, I didn't do any research to see if there was a comic store. Now there was one, and it was the '90s. They were everywhere. It was after the crash, and it was a college town. Mm-hmm. But if there hadn't been, I don't know what would have happened. I didn't even think about it. I just assumed because at the time they were just everywhere. I mean, think about how much wouldn't have happened. Right. Like, what would I have done? 
at that point, I've been going weekly to the comics store since 1992. No, no, or no I mean, I mean us. I mean all of this. Right. There's a, there's a whole downstream effect of that. But like uh, immediately, I've been I would have been like, uh, uh, what? Because I just hadn't think about it. Mm-hmm. I remember driving the town. It wasn't like, oh, there's a comic store here. It's like, oh, there is the comic store. Mm-hmm. Just assuming there would be one. Anyway, mm-hmm. what would have happened had there not been a comic store? It's your a comic comic store. privilege. <laughs> hey, that's it for this week's show. Nope, it's just for the books. Those are the books we wanted to talk about, but the patrons at patreon.com get to vote to add a book to the rundown, and they voted this week for the Immortal Thor, number 762, or number one. And I take issue with the legacy numbering on this comic. I understand it for the Invincible Iron Man. I understand it for Amazing Spider-Man. There was never been a book called the Immortal Thor. I don't think you're allowed to just have the Mighty Thor numbering on it. I think they've changed the names around. I don't think it should be. I don't think those should count. They're Put different it books. this way. How about this? It started out as Journey into Mystery. The numbering was continued from there. Listen, if that's not true, then the whole thing falls apart and this legacy numbering is bullshit. So then you're <laughs> going to have to start subtracting from both sides. Wait, are you saying <laughs> like, that this legacy numbering is about having your cake and eating it too? It appears to be. What, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that whenever it swapped over from Journey into Mystery to Thor, you would then have to subtract that from the legacy. That's true, because they did, they did for all those Marvel books. Captain America was... Stales to Astonish. Tales to Astonish, and then... Spider-Man just, just was Amazing Fantasy, and I, I'm sorry, I have to do this. Do you know why? Yeah, it was the publishing. Was Goodman was only allowed to publish eight titles, and right. so they kept them more vague and there would be a couple of stories in them but as the characters caught fire they changed the name to, i don't know work some publishing thing out so they could publish more this is the first issue of a new thor book written by al ewing art by martine martine cocolo matthew wilson and colors josephino on letters and this was fine i love thor being back in his original costume his curvy costume his yellow boots and <laughs> yellow belt and giant circles and i love that i love that costume i know he's had some great redesigns over the years but Something about that original Thor costume I love. Like that bit. I like the art a lot. It made me initially think, based on the art and the costume, that I was like, oh, is this like a flashbacky story? Right. But they referred to him as king. And I was like, okay, no. It's, so it, it seems to be you know the new Thor book in current continuity. But I had to think about it for a second. I thought the art was strong. The art also has a bit of that dude whose, whose name I couldn't think of before feel to it. Quipel? Quipiel? Quipel. In the Did faces, I think. In the sort of squat kind of. faces. No, we're not typically huge Al Ewing fans. I'm, I'm always willing to give anyone a shot mm-hmm. and try not to prejudge them. And this was okay. I didn't love it. The thing with Al Ewing for me is I feel as if I am disappointed later, where I will enjoy it for a little bit. And then as we get further into the story, this specifically, I'm thinking of, was it Immortal Hulk also? Yeah, it was Mortal Hulk. Oh, there you go. That must be his, his trade name. That's the longest I've ever done an Al Ewing book was I think like 20 issues of Hulk. Yeah, and, and I, like I was on it for a little bit and I was like, oh, I have lost this thread. Not that I didn't understand it. It just lost me and, you know, thematically where it was going, whatever, whatever. And I think it had happened a couple other times. I was reading this though and I thought it's, I had to adjust myself for Thor oh, speak to be, mm-hmm. I know I, I said it, but I was trying to move on. You didn't let it happen. It's fair. I <laughs> Like the the really verbosity it, huh? of the Thor speak. Like if you read the old Thor comics, you you know, Journey into Mystery, like that's kind of what it reads like. And so it's hard for me to say I like it when they do and something. So once I sort of adjusted back to that kind of thing, I was like, all right, he's doing this part of it really well. And I thought, all right, well, you're going to go back to Thor, you know, as we understand him. I can get behind that. Mm. It was bombastic. It was Thor-like. I You know, if, if you gave me this script... You know, other than a couple of little things, you know, 20 years ago, I'd have bought it. Mm-hmm. I, I just said, yeah, that makes sense. I enjoyed it. I did not love it. 
it's funny, the art got better to me too at first. I was like, I don't know about this. And then as we kept going and he, Martin Cocholo had more to do, like the bigger, mm. it, it's funny, the art like grew in dynamism and, and well, excitement. Well, the last segment's almost like a different artist. Yeah. There's a bit here where there's a face of of the what page? The Utgard so There's Thor. a big double page spread. Yeah, the Utgard Thor. And I don't know what that means. And I was like, that's kind of what it felt like to read comics in the past. It doesn't matter. And yeah, that face is just like arch, you know, evil, you know, it's clearly a villain. We don't really get a sense of who the character is because it's all held in shadow and, and you don't really get it. But, you know, that told me, oh, this is the monster, which, you know, in a way that I thought was very comic booky. Mm-hmm. I really liked the setup at the very beginning where he's got the frost giants by the short and curlies. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, oh, I wasn't talking to you about disappointment. I was talking to the storm. And the storm's like, sorry, and it went away. <laughs> that was great. And so later he comes to Earth and he starts talking to the storm again. He's like, you should go away. These people deserve nice weather. And it doesn't work. Right. This is all classic kind of stuff. But they started to say he controls the storm, but who controls the super storm? And I was like, please don't turn this into a very on the nose environmental message. <laughs> And and when I say that, not being as a person, because I'm like, I don't believe in it or whatever, I don't want it in the Thor story. Always on the nose, that's the thing. Is this the book? I think they mentioned climate change specifically. Maybe it was a different book this week, but I thought, don't put that in Marvel right now. Just don't. It's a slippery slope. It spins out of control real fast. Why doesn't Superman save everyone? Right. Right there. You know, anyway... It didn't end up like it's just that somebody more powerful came along who actually controlled these forces, whatever. Okay, I'm I'm into that. None of this is is new. You know, a bigger, darker Odin-like force comes along, and they have to God. Yeah. Great, and his mom's involved. Sure, whatever. <laughs> the art got really dynamic, and I liked mm-hmm. the art the whole way through. It was very superhero-y, but then it got really dark and dynamic at the end. Like like I said, like a whole different artist was drawing the book. I'm telling you right now, that. though, this is six. 12 issues tops. I don't want this for two and a half years. Don't want what? Whatever this is going to be. Tell the story. Get out. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want like, I don't want to do two or three years of Utgard politics or whatever it is. It's probably just an arc. I assume it's a six issue arc. I hope that's all it is. Yeah. I enjoyed this more than I thought I would, but I didn't love it. Like you said, I thought it was okay. Thor's drinking soda here. Yeah. He comes back, he writes some wrongs, and then he goes out to drink with, I guess, the kids in Brooklyn and he's having a soda and it's stuck. And it literally says on the can soda, soda <laughs> Thor drinks ale and he's, he's in Brooklyn or wherever with a bunch of people in their twenties. It's he's, okay to give him an IPA. He's going to have an IPA. He is. And he's going to have a flagon. It's going to be gross, but he'll drink it. Yeah. It's no, it's disgusting, but he will enjoy it. The soda was weird. It felt, it felt so out of place. It would be like if they stuck, instead of a Wolverine having a cigar, they gave him a blow pop. Like, it was that weird. Right. Yeah. And it's the Warriors 4 now. Yeah, with Valkyrie. is not called Valkyrie anymore. She's Brunhilde, isn't it? Brunhilde. Better than I was expecting it to be. The Immortal Thor, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five. Yeah. That. And I'm going to stick with it, the next issue at least. Yep. Agree. That was my big question for you. I am going to read the next one. I like the Thor book. And it was the Thor book. No one's going to argue, soda or not, that that wasn't a Thor book. God, I want to know what that's about. Every patron gets a vote to add a book at the rundown. But if you're a patron at the $5 or higher level, you get a superpower live on the show. Like Wayne McNichol. And Wayne McNichol can nerf anything. Meaning, he can turn any object into a nerf. Basically turns into a nerf. I thought you were suggesting that he could take away some of its power and ability. No, no, no. Not in the gamer sense. I'm talking about 
he could hold this microphone. The microphone turned into a Nerf. Spongy, uh, whatever the Nerf thing is. Does it still function? No, it's now Nerf. Oh, okay, okay. Nerf has greatly uh, <laughs> evolved over the years. It, it does many things. It's really, but really, that's just a device covered in Nerf. Whatever that is. I'm holding a little Nerf ball in my hands. Mm-hmm. Whatever this is, it has now been nerfed. It's plastic. Sure, probably. Aerated plastic. I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure. You are sure. destroying our planet, Nerf. I just tossed it across oh, yeah. the room. The good news, though, is that as it's got air in it, it is not destroying quite as much as other more dense things. Sure, but still. Do you guys understand when I say things like that, I am risking, I'm engendering, I'm asking At least for Ryan's not here to tell you you're wrong. An email from Ryan that will follow. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. If I did a good job, it'll be an attaboy, and it'll be the other thing if not. Yeah, well... There you go. So Ryan, not Ryan, you're not here. Wayne, you can nerf anything, anything you touch, like Midas, but with nerf. That would be good if you were about to crash in a vehicle. Sure. Can you turn it back? No, sadly not. Mm. Much like Midas, once it turns, it's it's turned. Because I fell off my skateboard the other day. Right. And had I had the opportunity to turn the ground to... Nerf? Nerf, that would have been good, but I really would have upset the other skate park patrons. (laughs) But a lot of, what the, and then a lot of crashing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, and it, you know, it's an expensive repair. Are you still in pain? I'm vaguely sore. It wasn't like a crash pain. It was, I did a thing. And then later I was like, why does this hurt? And let me tell you, my shoulders have hurt for six years. Sure. It's ever stopping. So. Sure. Sure. Good luck. So thanks for being a patron. Wayne McNichol, patreon.com slash ifanboy. If you want to get a power live on the show, you can join up at the $5 or higher level. And some point along this show, Josh, we rambled on way too long. And, and for the first time in f- what feels like forever, we're going to have to skip the emails, the audience questions. I'm sorry. I don't know when it happened. We had been really good about it. After a bunch of people complained that we had been skipping the emails every week because we ramble on like morons, we made a concerted effort to make sure we got the emails in, but we did it again. We talked about comics. There wasn't a significant... That's true. Little Gilded Age stuff, but... Here's some behind the scenes for you. On last week's show, Josh edited out a good five minutes about dentists. I did. <laughs> there was, I'm not kidding. There was, a, there was like yeah. a five-minute discussion at the end of the show about dentists and trips to the dentist. And I was a little surprised you cut it all out, but I wasn't, I wasn't upset about it. I'm pretty ruthless. I was like, oh, he cut all that out. Yeah. Well, it was right at the end. So. I'm just saying, that's what normally happens. It didn't happen this week, so it was all comic talk. <laughs> but... It's true. If you want to write in, like these two guys who were in the script but didn't make the show, contact ifanboy.com, and you guys will get in the show again. We got so many good emails in the last month after Josh put the Riley and Cry out. I'm pretty excited about that. Now it's like I, when I go to put emails in the show, I'm like, I don't even know what to do. There's too many to choose from. I know. So what happens is then we discourage people from writing in again, <laughs> and then they go down. No, no. Keep writing, and we're, we're going to get them all in. We're going to get mm-hmm. them all in. Sure. We'll get in. There could be an email show. That's a thing that happens. I'm not officially saying it yet, but in two weeks, we will start the call for episode 900 emails. Don't start sending them in yet. Yeah. Five weeks out is when we start, so don't do it yet. But we will have an all email show, so get ready. There you are. Contact at fanboy.com and for the media explode. Someone wrote in an email and had a media explode in the title, and it wasn't for a media explode. Mm. In fact, it's one of the emails in the script right now. Well, there you go. He was like, maybe this is for media explode. I was like, no, it's not. The question's about this show. It's for this show. Come on, guys. <laughs> Easy, buddy. Easy. All right. So uh, there are other podcasts we do. Just this last week was uh, the week before 
uh, Justice League War World, the Animation Brain Trust got together yeah. uh, to talk about a show that is not related to the comic book War World event, nope. uh, which which rocked Superman's world, but yet another War World issue. Yeah, very controversial film. All right, so uh, you should listen to that to find out what that means. And then this past week, just a few days prior to this show being released, uh, I posted an interview with myself and Rick Remender. Rick is an indie comic book mogul at this point, I oh, would yeah, say. Oh, yeah, for sure. The, of, he has a vast empire of books and properties that he's done. He run a TV show based on them. He could stop right now if he wanted to, but uh, he's got more in him. We talk about that. He quit. He, he, he said, that's it. I retire. I'm out. And we talk about that. It, obviously, it didn't take, but it's in there. <laughs> he figured it out. Yeah. With, All those with the, guys wanted to do what he did, which is basically do their own indie, yeah. create their own stuff. And he figured out a way to do it and... We do get into that, but you know the certain thing is that Kirkman gets a lot of credit for the whole thing, but really, Remender is his contemporary. I mean, they were doing yeah. it at the same time. It's just that Kirkman got there first, yeah. more or less. We talk about it. Really interesting. It goes pretty deep. It's not a surface-level conversation, I don't think. Proud of it. I've never actually interviewed Rick on my own. I have. Well, maybe on camera, but not, not long-form. <laughs> yeah, on camera, yeah. It's pretty Long-form uh, sort of talks below. That's out there. I suggest you listen to it. Do you know how old Fear Agent is now? It's very old. Don't think about it. Yeah, it's I know. very old. But that's what he remembers us initially as being people who were unknown coming up to him who was unknown and saying, we really like this book. Oh, yeah. Everyone else is talking about like yeah. Booster Gold. We're like, no, no, man. We couldn't talk about Fury, dude. Yeah. And I got to give credit where due. I know about it because of Around Comics. They talked about it. I gave you the trade paperback. I feel like I heard I was them the first one of the three I, of us who read it, and I gave I it to like you. I feel like I heard them talking about it first. Didn't mean I followed up on it. You got that going. Doesn't matter. It's good books. It brought people together. Yes. That's a whole thing. Uh, I appreciate it. You heard it. about it on what show? Around Comics. I heard them talking about it before I knew what it was. Not familiar with that show. <laughs> I miss those guys. Totally. There will be a media explode next week. Uh, that's yes. our non-comics show. We did the 80s comedy movie draft. So much fun. Can't wait yeah. for it to come out. We already recorded it. The 80s comedy draft. Very excited. Yeah, it's a, it's a good show. It was conceived in haste and desperation. <laughs> Sometimes that's where the best shows come from. Oh, absolutely. So you can check out all those shows. You can find an entire library of over 1,300 shows over at ifanboy.com. And I want to say, again, we said this last week, they're all in the feed. So if you go into our feed, every show, going back to our very first show from 2005, they're all there, except for the Don't Miss Shows and the Make Comics Make make comics? Make comics. Make show. comics. Because those shows have their own feed for whatever reason we did that. I specifically called it make and not making because it was an imperative. Every pick of the week, every special edition, every talk explode, book explode, they are all in the podcast feed. So if you go to any podcast aggregator, you'll find every show we've ever done there. Hmm. The first show was November 5th, 2005, pick of the week number one, Powers 14. It's there. Right there. You can find them all. You know, we did a we did an all-media year-end roundup nine episodes in. <laughs> we did nine Pick of the Week shows. Then we did the very first all-media year-end roundup in 2005 was our technically our 10th episode, which is why I think there's no actual number 10. Huh. We didn't know what we were doing back then. And so we just called the next episode, episode 11, because we had done 10th. It was the all-media show. That's fair. So I think there's no actual Pick of the Week number 10, I think. Cool. It's all very messy ephemera you can go to youtube.com slash ifanboy where you will find all of our old video shows uh and we post this show that goes up every week there as well you could subscribe to that that would be delightful you can like them if you want to you could Smash. favorite them you could put Smash. them in a watch i'm not saying it you could put them in a watch later 
which is interesting because you don't really need to watch what you're listening to right now, but you could. That's going to be a thing. If you pay some exorbitant price for YouTube Plus or Premium or whatever, and you want to take the most advantage of it. I keep living in fear it. that I'm going to tap the wrong button. They really want me to YouTube. take like, that. Do you want to subscribe to YouTube? Like, I'm yeah. just like, no, but I keep thinking, oh, no, you're going to hit the wrong button one day. Yeah. You can leave a review either with the thumbs up you know, on, on YouTube or the podcast reviews on whatever app you're on. If there is a way to do that, please do it for this show or for other shows or whichever. I realize that I don't think on Overcast there is a way to do that because I, like, well, okay. I never do that. Sorry. You can go to iTunes and do it. I literally don't even have the podcast app installed in anything. That's what I, I realized. I mean, you can do it through the web. Okay, fair enough. But also, we skipped the part. I fan by comics on Instagram is where you can find the pick before the show comes out and the best of the week in panels oh, usually happens there. And individually, we are C.S. Kilpatrick and J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. And that is it. All right. I got to go skateboarding again. Don't fall. I'm, well, try not to. Don't fall unless you've got Wayne McNichol skating with you. Good call. Boy, he's going to piss off those other tattooed young men. <laughs> Until next week, I'm Connor. I'm Josh Bike. To everything you turn